Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 2. This is lesson number six of Part 2. And uh, in light of the last lesson where we talked about seeing ourselves from God's perspective, seeing ourselves through God's eyes, uh, we need to be able to see as a part of humanity and also an individual human, we need to be able to see ourselves as God sees us, both our glory and our weakness. What is our glory? Our glory is not our accomplishments. What is our weakness? Our weakness is in our shame. So let's talk about both our glory and our weakness. When we see ourselves as God sees us, we see both our glory because we've been made a little lower than the angels, and our weaknesses. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6 says, uh, But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? What what is man? What are we doing here? Why would God have any, give any, (laughs) why would God care about us at all? We're on this tiny rock in the vast universe, and we are infinitesimally small specks of dust on this tiny rock in this universe that man cannot calculate the size of. Why would God care about us? Why would God visit us? Why would God be mindful of us? Well, here it is. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Why? Because the angels were made of divine substance. They don't have flesh. They have bodies, but they are spirit bodies. That's why when Lucifer and his third of the angels uh, decided they wanted to make their own decisions, there is no redemption for him or those angels because they didn't have flesh as a weakness. Their substance was Spirit substance, God's own substance. And they were spirit beings. They had no flaws. They had no no weaknesses. So when Lucifer decided he wanted to make his own decisions and his third of the angels agreed with him, they were kicked out of heaven. And and Jesus said that hell uh, was prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? There's no second chance for them. But for us, our weakness is our glory because thou hast, thou madest him a little lower than the angels, Hebrews 2, 7. Thou crownest him with glory and honor that it has set him over the works of thy hands. So God has made us in him. And we are, we do have spirit. We do have God's uh, spirit of life in us. We do have a, a, a spirit in us. We call it spirit of man, but it's not man's spirit. It's God's spirit that connects man to God, whether we use that connection or not. It is that portion of God's spirit that is a part of my being, body, soul, and spirit, First Thessalonians 5.23. Man is body, soul, and spirit. Body's made out of the dust of the earth. Uh, the spirit came from God. And when God breathed into uh, that 
sculpture he created out of clay, uh, the breath of life and the Hebrew word and the Greek word that's translated breath can also be translated spirit or wind. So when God breathed in man, the breath of life, he breathed in man spirit from him. And when spirit and uh, sculpture, clay sculpture came together, a third part was created, and that's the individual man, soul. That's why at death, the body goes back to dust once it came. The spirit of life goes back to God, which gave it. And the soul is going to immediately go to either the resting place of the righteous dead or to a place of torment for the unrighteous dead until the resurrection and the great white throne judgment. And so uh, God made us. He put all of that in this earthen vessel. And while this flesh is a tremendous trial and test, Ultimately, it is to our blessing because God understands flesh and its vast weaknesses. And so therefore, no matter how much peace I have in here, and no matter how healed I am of shame, I still have flesh. As long as I'm in this life, I still have a fleshly nature, a sinful nature that I can never let have preeminence in my life because once I do, even a little bit, I'm going to do Those things that flesh wants. (laughs) It's not my soul that loves mounds, candy bars. It's my flesh. It's not my soul that loves whoppers with cheese, everything, no onions, mustard, no mayonnaise. It's not my soul that loves that. It's my flesh. It's not my soul that loves a good football game to watch and used to to play, but it's my flesh. So I have to acknowledge what's my flesh. Now, he gave my body the ability to experience pleasure. Thank God for the taste buds. Thank God for the olfactory nerves that lets me smell, especially when I'm smelling good stuff. Thank God for that. Thank God for the sense of touch and the pleasure of feeling those things that are, that are positive to touch. Thank God for that. Thank God for the blessing of touch if I'm touching something hot to warn me away from it. Thank God for all of that. But they're all a part of these, this flesh. They're not a part of my soul. The flesh, through those senses, communicates with the soul. The soul's got to make the decision what it's going to do with all of that. God created me like this. Why? It's so complicated, so difficult. No, no. He created us like that because he is love. And when there was nothing else but God, he had no way to manifest his love. He had no one to love. There was nobody else but him. He was the I am, the infinite God, the self-existent one. So God wanted to love. Loving himself wasn't satisfying that. So by the mind of God that was, that can't be separated from God the Father, which we have named the Logos, that, that mind of God, that plan of God, that purpose of God, that will of God, that power and authority of God that's all, all a part of Logos, through Logos, he created everything. Why? Because he wanted to be able to love. But for love to be love, he had to be able to love somebody 
that he could love with and fully express his love, meaning that even if I don't get anything in return, I, I love them. And he wanted to be loved back because love is like electricity in the sense there needs to be a closed circuit for it to truly have power and be effective and fulfill us. And so, but the problem is he couldn't make things love him because then they weren't, that's not love. That's fear or reverence or whatever you want to call it. So he wanted and needed somebody to love him in return. So to do that, he had to create some part of his creation that had the power of choice. He created that part of his creation to be man. The angels were not, they were given the ability to choose. They were not given the right to choose. That's why Lucifer, one wrong choice, and he's done. But you and I were given the right to choose. But also in his love, from before the foundation of the world, he determined that he would become a man like us so that he could die in our place to give us a way to get back from our wrong choices and be restored to his plan, which is for us to love him, for to receive his love from him and love him back by choice. What is man that thou art mindful of him? In God's plan, everything. Everything. The last thing God created, according to Genesis, was man. And with everything else he created, he says, good. When he created man, he says, very good. Why? Because that was the expression of himself that he put into this universe, this finite creation that was the, was all created as the home for this being that he could love and that could love him back. God owns the universe. The universe can't love God because it has no choice. God loves the angels. They weren't created to love God. They were created to worship God, to serve God. But you and I were created to love God. And he loved us first. And the goal is for us to receive that love and love him back with it. He doesn't ask us of anything ever that he doesn't first supply. I don't have to worry about God telling me to give a million dollars. I don't have a million dollars. If he told me to to give a million dollars, praise God, that means he's about to give me a million dollars because he can't require of me what I don't have to give. So he can't require me to love him without first giving that love to me so that I have love to love him back with. But what if I've got shame and I won't let God love me or I won't accept that love or believe that love? First John 4.16 says, We have known and believed the love that God hath toward us. The word know there means to know experientially, not theoretically, but experientially. We have known the love God has for us. And we, we have believed. The word there believe means we trust in that love. We love him because he first loved us. First John 4.19 So here we are. We are made a little lower than the angels. Why? Thank God for flesh. Can I say this to you like this? God created men in the garden, and he created men without a sinful nature. He created flesh, but it didn't yet have a sinful nature. So he put in the garden the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. One of those 
man was not allowed to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why would God put it there? Because man in that paradise, man had to have a choice. And without a, a choice, he had no way to express his love because love is a decision far more than it's an emotion. That's why when in all the marriages that I've performed, I've asked people to make that, uh, vows. Why? Because those, those vows are, they, they are love. They are decisions. Emotions vary. But if we give our word and keep our word and we do that by choice, that is love. That's love. To give ourselves, he gave himself for, to us and we'll not take it back. We give ourselves to him, but we can take that back. And if we take back our love from him and not give it to him, then we're making a choice that we are separating ourselves from our, from God. The scripture says our sins and our iniquities have separated between us and God. God doesn't separate himself from us. We separate ourselves from God by the choices we make. Well, if my motives are wrong, I'm making wrong choices because I might be doing the right things, but my motive for doing them is to earn from God what he's already offered as a gift. So let me go on here. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7, Thou madest, a man, madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. Did it set him over the works of thy hand? Keep reading in Genesis chapter 1. 26, 27, whatever. God gave man dominion over the entire earth. Gave him God's own dominion. He gave over the earth. So God gave man God's dominion for man to exercise it over the earth. Oh, but they didn't make it out of the garden with it. Because that's exactly what the whole goal for Satan was in in, in, in communicating with Eve through the serpent. He wanted that dominion. He wanted his own world where he could be the God of this world. He couldn't be God in heaven. He was kicked out of heaven because of his wrong choices. But he wanted that. But God didn't give him dominion over the earth. He gave it to man. That's why when he said to Jesus in, in the wilderness, if you'll bow down and worship me, you see all these kingdoms? I'll give you these the authority over these kingdoms because that authority has been delivered unto me. And when you look up that Greek word, it means... I gained this in battle at a, as a spoil of war. It's my paraphrase of the definition of the word delivered. So even Adam didn't know what was going on with the serpent there. They didn't know that that was a, uh, that was a war. They didn't understand that. They didn't, they didn't understand that. But Satan did. He knew that was a war. He knew it was a war because there was something he wanted. He wanted the authority God gave the man over the earth. And what is the purpose of the, of the kingdom of God and us being involved in the kingdom of God? To exercise here and now his spiritual dominion in the earth. And then for a thousand years in the millennial reign of Christ, we will participate in him exercising that dominion on the earth. Uh, naturally, literally. Verse 8, second, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. That subjection is still there. We don't use it. For in that he put all things, uh, all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. <laughs> 
Oh, my friend, that's exactly what our problem is, isn't it? We are not using what God has called us to use. Hebrews chapter, or Ephesians chapter 1 says that he wants us to have the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of him that we might know the exceeding greatness of his power to us but who believe, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand uh, in heavenly places, far above all principalities, power, and might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world right now, but in the world which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and made him to be the head over all things to his body, which is the church, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Not he's the fullness of us. That's Ephesians chapter 3. But we're the fullness of him. Or the word there, fullness, means to be brought to completion. Why? Because anything was created, before anything was created, God was love. But there was no one to love. So by creating all of this and us, us responding positively, we completed God's cycle of love. We are the fullness of him. But listen to what it said again. He's put all things under his feet, made him be the head over all things to his body, which is the church in this world right now. Are we exercising that? Are we just passively floating along through the world, letting whatever happens, happens? Oh, I I, I don't want to, but I I have to move along here. (laughs) We must believe that God loves us, period. End of discussion. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when, yet, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth or recommends his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Your, our sins and our iniquities have separated between God and us. So if he died for us while we were sinners, he died from us while we were estranged from him, separated from him, not a part of him, not receiving his love and not giving it back either. He died ahead of time for us. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves us. Wilmington's Guide of the Bible says this, the Greek word used in describing God's love for man is agape. This kind of love is absolutely unique, for it is not dependent upon the beauty of the object being loved. Naturally, human love does not function this way. We love others because they love us or because we see beauty or value in them. But God sees beauty and value in us, whether we see it or not. Shame prevents me from seeing that God loves me because we want to know why. How could you love somebody as messed up as me? Because those are feelings of unworthiness, which is shame. I am worthy. I am worth something to God. How much? He went to all the trouble of causing his logos, which is the Father's mind, and the Father's expression of himself that is able to relate to the finite, to cause that Logos to be robed in flesh, submit that Logos to man and man's choices. He was in the world. The world was made by him. and The world knew him not, John 1. And he came unto his own, his own received him not. How humble was God and how urgent was it for him, to him, for him to express to man man's value because he became a man. 
And he didn't just become a man. He became a man so that him as a man, the part of him that became a man, could die in our place for all of our wrong choices. Now, that's love, friend. And there is no natural love like that. That is agape love. There is no natural love like that. There's no natural feelings or emotions that equate to agape love. Because that agape love is boundless and endless and unfathomable. So he loved us. God sees our shortcomings, our disobedience, and our willfulness. Yet he loves and accepts us regardless of what our weaknesses may be. And in spite of all of our mistakes, we give up on God. He gives up on us. And he doesn't stop striving with us till we've convinced him, don't bother. The Lord sees beyond our faults and failures and loves us anyway. He sees our potential and he has the confidence and he has confidence in his own ability to make us what he wants us to be. God believes in himself. Whether we believe in him or not, God believes in himself. God believes in himself. He knows his own ability. He created all of this. And he created for himself a visible representation. And he did it outside the bounds of human aspects by the the Spirit of God, the Father of Jesus, overshadowing a virgin that had never known a man, conceiving this body that was going to be his sacrifice and causing that to grow up among us so that we could see it and enabling that body, that humanity, humanity to not sin so that that, that that body could be a sinless sacrifice for our sins and pay the debt of the penalty, the penalty of our debt for us in our place. He who knew no sin, first Corinthians five twenty one or second Corinthians five twenty one. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in us. That's how much he loved you. When we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't just die for good people by man's definition. He died for everybody. No matter how despicable they might become, he died for them. He loved them. They're the ones that have chosen to go away from God. They're the ones that have conv- that have chosen to convince him, don't bother. You're never going to have me. As long as I can, I'm going to be my own God. Well, that's not going to last long. Life is real short, friend. It's just a vapor. <laughs> the Lord sees beyond our faults and failures and loves us anyway. He sees our potential, and he has confidence in his ability to make us what he wants us to be. He sees the best part of us. He knows the plan and purpose he has for us. He sees the best part of us. He knows the plan and purpose he has for us. He also knows his ability to prepare us and work us and grow us to the place if we will yield our wills to him to prepare us, to bring us to that place and then do that plan through us. Even at at our best, we can never begin to approach the glory of God. But God has given us glory as his image. Even though we are made in his image, we're still only infinitesimal sparks of light in contrast to his eternal, all-consuming glory. But God chose us to be the reflection, the conduit of his glory. He chose man 
to be the conduit of his word, his power, his authority, his spirit, his love, his grace, his mercy, his righteousness, his holiness in the earth to other men. And he gave us dominion. (laughs) If Satan is the God of this world, and yet God has given man dominion, and he has reestablished that dominion in the church, even though the church doesn't seem to have any awareness of that, and sure, we're not using that, then that means we have God's given a dominion over every principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named in this world. Now, our purpose in the earth at this time is not to rule. We're not trying to take over governments. We're not trying to rule this earth. Frankly, I got better things to do than worry about potholes. But there are people that are willing to be uh, to be uh, elected offices or have jobs to do those things. Thank God for them. I thank God for them. Thank God for them. Thank God for them. But. It's not the purpose of the church to rule in the natural. It is the purpose of the church to rule in the spiritual. To pray the blindness off the those that are lost. If our gospel be hid, it is hid in them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine on them. But when God called Paul in and and we had in the most Detailed description of that by Paul's own mouth in Acts chapter 26. The Lord told him that he was called to open the eyes of the blind, to turn them from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among the saints. Are we doing that? Well, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Follow me as I follow Christ. If that's Paul's call, it's our call. It's all of mankind's call. It's all of the church's call. But if we have shame, our motives are wrong. Our whole purpose for doing everything is not pleasing to God. How many people pray every day, but they pray prayers of shame? Every one of those prayers is a test to test God's love. If you love me, give me this. If you love me, don't let this happen. If you love me, if you love me, if you love me, if he loves us. When I'm praying prayers of shame, I don't bring any glory to God. And I only condemn my own soul. If I'm praying prayers of iniquity, my will, not God's will. It's appointed unto man wants to die. Are we praying for people that it's their time to die? Praying for God to spare them? Oh, you can pray and God will spare them against his own will. Look at Hezekiah. Look at Hezekiah. It was the will of God for him to die. He would have died as one of the probably the second greatest king in Israel's history. But he didn't want to die, so he prayed against dying. He did not do the will of God, and God gave him the answer to his prayer. And he lived 15 more years and became 
if not the worst, one of the very worst kings in all of Israel's history because he would not submit to the will of God. He wouldn't submit to the will of God. God in his love told Hezekiah he was going to die. Not being punished. It was just time for him to go. God was done. He was ready to move on to somebody else. But he didn't. He didn't. He wouldn't accept that. Are we, are we praying the will of God? Are we praying our will? Give me, I want, I like, I wish. I don't want this to happen. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> I don't want my hair to fall out. I don't want all these wrinkles on my face. I don't want my hands to look like an old man's hands. So be it. It's just part of it. I'm thankful I'm old enough that God, by his grace, has given me the years that I've got less hair than I did 30 years ago, that my hands are not smooth like they were. I've lived long enough to have wrinkled hands. Thank God for life. And thank God for the strength to sit here, talk to you. Thank God for health. And if he chooses to take that health, blessed is the name of the Lord. God, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. But if I'm praying prayers of iniquity because I'm praying my will and not his, I can ask for anything I want as long as it's qualified with nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I can ask for anything I want. And it's not a prayer of iniquity as long as it's qualified. This is what I'd like you to do, Father, but not my will, your will. Not my will, your will. And I give you thanks for what you do or you don't do in advance. This is what I'd like. But if you if it's not your will, don't give it to me. And I give you thanks for not giving it to me. But if I have wrong motives, I want what I want. I need what I need to feel better about myself. It's not pleasing to God. Poverty of spirit is not a matter of our unworthiness by and of itself. But poverty of spirit is true spiritual humility because of an understanding of our unworthiness in comparison to God and his glory. Am I unworthy in comparison to what? I am unworthy in comparison to God. Comparison to God and his glory, I'm unworthy. In comparison to the plan of God, in comparison to what God wants to do in, by, and through me, in comparison to the love of God, I am worthy of his love because he gave it freely. So I am unworthy. I am unworthy in comparison to God, in comparison to his glory. We are worth so much to God that he died for us. That's how much we're worth. Anything that undermines your faith in that worth from God it's shame. It's wrong motive. It's not pleasing to God. And he wants you to be free. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be purified so that you can have right motives that please him. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the spirit of grace from God upon you and me that by the spirit of the Lord, by the grace of God, the word of God, the spirit of God would search our hearts and lives, that the Lord would talk to us and help us to receive 
deliverance and wholeness from him that we might have that we might be free from shame and see ourselves from his perspective through his eyes and give ourselves to him without reservation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory. Amen.